Hi everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, and experts from both Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journeys into this growing and exciting industry, giving you some insight into the ecosystems that help you to take part in the fight against climate change and benefit from the opportunities it can represent podcast is divided in two small interviews. During the first part, you will get to know our speakers, their perspectives on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. Second part of the discussion will be for members of our community who will learn the speaker's secret sauce on how to and share with you their unique expertise on topics such as fundraising, management, strategy and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. So before we start, I would like to quickly share what we are doing at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech founders in accessing resources and gaining visibility with investors they seek. Our initiatives include a membership-based community platform offering access to a dedicated Slack group with a growing number of founders, experts, and investors from around the world and a series of exclusive content such as interviews, weekly job listings, events, and our quarterly online pitch of night opportunity. But more than a place where you can learn, exchange, and grow, we are building a matchmaking service to facilitate connections between our members and top investors and experts in the field. And soon, alongside with other top investors, we will be launching a small fund to co-invest in the growth and acceleration of our members. Finally, all of this is possible because of your support and donations. We are a small self-funded team, and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. So please share one episode with a friend and subscribe to the channels. As an added bonus, we will plant a tree for each of our subscribers each time we reach 1,000 new fans or donors. Do not hesitate to connect with me via social media or email guillaume at Startup Basecamp. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope to get in touch with you soon. And now, let's go for the show. Hi, everyone. During this new episode of Founder Series, we are sitting down with Anthony Baker, founder and CEO at Satellitevo. Since 2016, this satellite startup based out of London has been building the next generation of Earth observation infrared sensors that monitor the temperature of any structure on the planet in near real time. The company will be using this data to determine valuable insights into economic activity, energy efficiency and carbon footprints that will enable better business decisions. I was excited to speak with Anthony, a space geek with more than 20 years in the global aerospace industry, who dropped his comfortable paycheck to build a satellite company from scratch that helps make better decisions for fighting climate change. In this episode, we'll know more about his journey and the experience that led him to start a company. Together, we will cover the numerous initial challenges of building a private observation satellite company and a new generation of infrared sensors. Anthony will share what they learned from those early days and how without even having a satellite in space, they were able to raise millions from investors by showing initial imagery their sensor gathered in special planes over London. Then we go deeper into the potential that data 
collected from space can have for the public and private sector in fighting climate crisis. Finally, Anthony will share the next steps necessary in achieving their vision and how you can get involved. During the second part of the talk, Anthony will give his secret sauce for early stage founders looking to fundraise by relating his own long and bumpy journey with Satellite Vue. Finally, he will share his own work-life balance tips for busy founders. Anthony, welcome to the show. Hi Anthony, welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. We are super happy and uh, excited to have you here again for a new uh, episode of our founder series. So before we start, can you give us a, a 30 second uh, intro about uh, Satellite Vue? Great, thanks for inviting me. It's a real pleasure to, to be speaking. So uh, Satellite View is going to launch uh, a unique uh, set of satellites with a camera that can uh, detect the heat emissions from any building in the planet. So we can effectively find out where in the world we're wasting all the energy. Um, we can direct people that want to uh, reach net zero where to start first. Let's start from the top. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about uh, you know your personal story and, and background? Uh, you mentioned that you're, you're a space geek. Uh, you're passionate about uh, everything related to, to space. And but besides work and, and being a successful founder, I mean, what makes you feel inspired or, or like your best self? I mean, we always like in this show to learn a bit more about uh, the guest and the guest speaker, and we need to understand who is Anthony. Well, Anthony is a space geek, um, and uh, I think the, the, the difference is I've, I've learned a lot of experience. Um, uh, lots of things have gone right and, and wrong, um, and from that, um, I want to pass on to uh, the people that I work with, but also give opportunity to you know to, to everybody. So you know, my, my children are a little bit older, so they're you know in their twenties, and I look at them. And I think, you know, they're going to inherit the, the world that, that we leave them. Um, and uh, I could carry on with my career and be a, a satellite uh, engineer, or I can go and create a company that uh, can make a difference to the world. Um, it can make a difference to uh, the, the people that work here, and, and it can make a difference to the people that inherit the world afterwards. And so, you know, that, that's, what, that's basically what I've done, is uh, I've created a company where, I mean, most of the people that work for me are around my, half my age. They're the youngsters. I'm the leader that, that's helping them uh, create the business, but they're the ones who are implementing it. And I think everyone who joins the company uh, feels that, uh, uh, you know, that they're making a difference in, in this climate challenge that we have. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, so far we've been really successful. So during this, this whole journey in the, the satellite uh, industry, I mean, what are the different, maybe if you can share like, with us like a couple of experience that uh, you learned along the way that if you were not exposed to those different experiences, like you probably would not have launched a uh, satellite view. So I think the experience is, you know, everyone says space is tough. Well, it is, but doesn't mean you you don't you don't do it. You don't uh, carry on uh, climbing that mountain um, and, and getting up there as a team successfully. Um, so you know, it's it's that perseverance is, is really important. Understanding the problem, um, 
understanding uh, the, the solutions, um, making mistakes, recovering from them professionally. Uh, so the, these experiences uh, allow you to, to persist, whereas maybe if you're a little bit younger, a little bit naive, uh, you might find them devastating. Although you might have less to lose personally when you're younger, um, yeah, but it's, so you can take more risks in that respect. But it's, it's about taking measured risks um, and, re and making the best of any particular situation. So you mentioned uh, prior to that in the in the talk that uh, you know your your children are older now and uh, you could have the, the opportunity to uh, basically uh, keep working in the satellite industry instead of like uh, being a founder and trying to to solve uh, you know this humongous uh, problem or at least contributing to the solving the the, the climate change uh, problem that we are uh, but. Do you see or do you have like any uh, moment that we call more like the haha moment in a way uh, that uh, you could, could recall that defined this moment where you decided, in fact, I need to take action uh, with my background, my education, uh, my vision of the world, uh, I can uh, really start to, uh, to do something uh, different? Or is it just, you know, a, seri a, a serial, uh, I would say, succession of uh, events that... Uh, pushed you into this uh, this direction? No, I think when you're working for, you know, particularly large companies, um, you, you should take time to review where, where your career is going. And, you know, and I remember a, a couple of points in my career thinking, all right, am I going to be this satellite engineer or am I going to switch to some, some other maybe larger industry or, or, or change a course into you know, management or something like that? Um, and so I think you have to reflect on, on the pros and cons of that um, at, at each stage. So I think my aha moment for, uh, for Satellite View was um, basically going alone because I've always helped companies scale up. So I've never been at that very uh, birth moment. Um, so taking the, the leap that, that you're going to, you're going to start it, you're going to lead it, uh, you know, and day one is quite often you're by yourself. Um, and so, so, you know, that that's the challenge. And you, so you've got to believe not only in yourself, but also that you can uh, solve a problem that's worth solving and that you, you know, in the realms of possibility, the technology or your, uh, your, your solution can solve that problem. So when those three things come together, the self, you understand the problem, and you think there's a solution, you know, that's, that's aha. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, I felt I could do this because I, I had, you know, good long experience. The challenge was, you know, immense. Uh, you know, how can we help people have better insights into climate? And then the solution, yeah, it took some delving around to, to find, you know, what was affordable and, 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 and meaningful and what customers might want, what they might find useful. Um, so that sort of gelled and then you go, yeah, this is, this is possible. Let's go and build the team and do it. That's exciting. So before we, we, we go into the uh, what I call the space for climate uh, industry or landscape today, can you give us an overview on the whole satellite and imagery and everything that we can get uh, from space 
can give us an edge on, uh, in the fight of climate change? I mean, what are the applications and outcomes that we can expect uh, that we maybe already have today or will have in the future? And, and who is interested by that? Yeah, so I, I think space is already helping with, uh, with climate. They helped with some of the, the models that, uh, you know, that, that was used in, in the recent COP26. Um, so the scientific satellites from NASA and ESA and others around the world uh, are measuring you know, characteristics of the atmosphere and surface temperature. Uh, but typically um, on a planetary scale at a low resolution is, is what they need. Uh, to, you know, to do climate prediction models. Um, at, a, at a higher resolution, uh, you know, there are um, observations, particularly in optical and, and the radar, star synthetic, synthetic aperture radar, you know, which are available um, today, which can help with, you know, certain modeling, obviously modeling of you know, deforestation, um, you know, glaciers retreating, and things like that. So all this can be done today. I think where climate, where space is going to help out in the future is uh, on, the, on the greenhouse uh, gases, um, uh, either their production or um, you know indicators that, that lead to more or less of those gases. So there's already one satellite system up there now that detects methane. I think. Uh, Methane is a big problem, and some work was done at COP26 to uh, address that. Um, but you know, energy efficiency is is called by the International Energy Authority as the as the first fuel for combating climate change. Um, and this this is their words. And what they mean by that is you can make much more effect by uh, you know saving energy. Than, than, than uh, uh, you can make more effect on, on the carbon budget by saving energy than you can by um, some uh, you know some special uh, applications. Methane is a great one. It's very powerful um, uh, carbon, uh, uh, very powerful gas for uh, uh, carbon equivalent. Uh, so you know it's, it's something we definitely need to get rid of. But the majority of the of the causes are from industrial sites, from refineries, etc. And so those entities, we know we can find them, we can regulate them, we can make them fix it. They have the money to do it. But energy efficiency in the home or something is quite expensive. It's nebulous. We don't know quite where to look. Uh, it's quite expensive on an individual basis to fix this. So it's a much harder uh, thing to uh, solve. But um, if you do solve it, uh, you obviously reduce the amount of carbon and you reduce the amount of energy in total that we need to generate. So we don't have the mitigation like building more uh, solar plants or building more wind farms will not have to be to such a large extent if we can use what we have better in the first place. So, you know, that's very much the argument. So what can space do about that? You know, our, our particular application, if we can use our infrared camera to find out which buildings are the worst, you know, we see ourselves as thermometer of the world. We can find the bad buildings, the sick buildings, um, direct people to go and fix those, um, increase the energy efficiency, and that saving can be used for other purposes. Um, and so we don't have to build more uh, you know, solar pan panels, etc. So b before we go uh, too much into detail about uh, you know, your solution and, and the way how it works and 
in, in a way, w which problem exactly you are addressing. I'd like to take a, a little bit uh, a, a zoom out here <clears throat> and really like try to understand with you this uh, space for climate industry landscape today. I mean, how is it evolving? Uh, and is it you know slowing down, blocked, or there's a lot of uh, you know investment capital uh, poured into the into the industry? I mean, we understand uh, the, the extreme value uh, to collect all of those data in terms of uh, you know, modeling and in terms of understanding, uh, in your case, uh, where we can be uh, more efficient. But in a way, what needs to happen to you know, uh, have enough of those uh, satellites uh, deployed and, and re-contribute to effectively uh, reach the, needs, uh, the, the net zero uh, goal of, of 2050? Uh, do we need like hundreds of them or we need like few bunch of them like, like yours um, do we need more actors like you uh, or is it uh, the, the the market and the industry is already uh, in a way uh, mature enough to really uh, contribute fully so from a space hardware point of view i think you know where we are today is there's um uh, there's space agency sensors up there nasa esa jaxa uh, India have sensors. You know, almost all the larger countries, the space-faring nations, have sensors up there. But it tends to be a lower resolution. Um, the, the revisit's not that high. Um, they, it's generally free data, so that's a good thing. Um, but there's, there's the, the application to uh, you know uh, modern-day living cities. You know that at the individual level is is quite low. Um, so there are higher resolution systems, but they tend to be you know defense related. So there's a big gap for commercial applications, um, and that's been filled somewhat by uh, uh, experimental satellites, these cubesats the size of shoeboxes. Um, people, uh, universities and startup companies can afford to launch those. They don't cost too much money, and it's a good place to start with a new instrument. Um, and there's lots of you know inroads into that. Even in infrared, where we where we're looking, uh, there's there's some uh, lower resolution systems, but they're still looking mainly at large features. Um, and so that doesn't that gives you some fidelity in applications around agriculture or forests or you know oceanic type. Uh, uh, Landscapes, um, but uh, not really at the at, you know at the sharp end of which building or which which company is producing uh, the the worst effects. And I think that's the level we need uh, information we need to get there. So you know I think we're helping out with that solution. I think there are other people uh, building more and more uh, high resolution systems in optics in optical bands, etc. Um, and so, you know, that, that's coming along, and you'll see more of that. Do we need hundreds of satellites? I, I don't really count the number of satellites. It's, it's, uh, it's the, uh, the level of the service. People need to know how to model the world. You need to know how it's going every hour. So, you know, every, every couple of hours, you need to see day and night, you know, how's this performing? So maybe you can create a digital model of a city or a building uh, and, you know, and try and to look at some prediction about, you know, a climate a adaptation models and all, all sorts of other things that, that you might be interested in. 
So from a, from a satellite hardware point of view, yeah, there might be, you know, tens, low hundreds uh, of these devices required um, at some stage as the, as the appetite grows. But that's getting there is that you're only halfway up the mountain, you know. Mm. Um, the, the real challenge is getting that data into a meaningful format that the, uh, the, the customers want. And so that analytics and insights generation is where typically uh, Earth observation um, has failed. Um, and we can, you know, I think with the free data from some of the science missions, Copernicus, etc., people are developing uh, data sets, but you still need to be a specialist to understand them. It's not where the, uh, the real end user, the layman, the normal businessman would, not in a format that, that they, they require. And so this is the challenge. And so most of the people we're hiring are not satellite gut people. We've actually outsourced almost all of the satellite construction, monitoring, design um, to others. Um, and where we're trying to build our expertise is in the analytics and making that relevant to, to the climate challenge. So. Let's go a little bit deeper into the into the company and itself. You can tell us a little bit like the, the you know the story of the uh, origin of the of the company and uh, how did your uh, your team and and yourself put together the, the first prototype and, and I understand you you are more on the software side and the analytics side and the uh, hardware side, but uh, it sounds that to go to that uh, software side as the data were uh, not captured properly or at the level level that uh, you are looking for. Uh, you had to go through that uh, phase of, in a way, building and putting, I think for 2022, the first uh, satellites uh, up there. Um, so tell us a bit more about the, 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 the initial uh, story of it. Yeah, so I think once we've identified uh, that infrared was um, an application that hadn't really been served, it's really a new category of Earth observation and no one was operating that space besides the, the space agencies. Um, and talking to a lot of potential customers that this was useful and there was demand for it and unsatisfied demand. Um, so that spurred us on to looking at, at a technical solution. Um, typically, there's, you know, there's two ways of looking at this. You go and talk to a, a sensor manufacturer. Um, they might have something which is, you know, was a military asset because the military always seemed to have a lot of innovation in in this uh, in these fields of new sensors. But you know it might be classified. You might have struggling to declassify that. Uh, it costs a lot of money to develop, and so they want to pass that cost down to you. Um, you might not be able to export that data or, or that instrument. I mean, there's all sorts of problems in in trying to go from a, a government program to a low-cost commercial program. Or the other route, which is you take a commercial off-the-shelf camera, something that's in, uh, you know, works on an airplane or in, in you know, uh, some other ground-based sensor, and you go, right, what do I need to do to this camera to make it reliable enough to work in space? Um, and so that's the, that's the choice we took, is to... Uh, and I think a lot of the new space companies, that, that's, the, that's the approach they take. Um, 
So you need to be prepared to fail, and you need to be prepared that you know you might have to change a lot of lot of the electronics and the and the construction of that instrument to be able to survive the launch and the operations in space over a period. And we're looking for you know a five-year lifetime of our satellites. Um, but you know, so we found the right company that could do this for us. Um, we did a survey of all the instruments around the world um, to, to make a short list. Um, and uh, yeah, so that, that's, that's how we, we, we made the down selection on, on the hardware. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, a satellite takes a couple of years, well, part of a satellite takes a couple of years to build and, 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 and design, um, but we can't wait that long. You know, we, we want to show our customers data now, so when the satellites launch, they are already ready to, um, to use the data sets. And because it's a new data set, people, it's intriguing when you first see it. It's amazing what insight you can just see visually. Um, and so they need to be able to integrate this into a form of then, you know, the existing data analysis that they have in, in, in inside their companies or to products. So we wanted to give them a, a sample data set today. We say they could play with, optimize, and understand uh, so we put a copy of the camera on a plane um, and flew it up and down. Um, so we're collecting, you know, live data off plane. Even this week, we've got the plane in, in, in the sky collecting uh, data of different features. Um, and we're selling this as a product now, as a, as a proof of concept that people can look at the features they want. Uh, we can help them format it into into, uh, uh, into a format that they that is useful to them, maybe overlaying other data sets, fusing information, and extracting data uh, you know, insights from that. Um, so that's, that's the way to get ahead, is to uh, make it useful as soon as possible in some sort of format, format you know, maybe starting with mock-ups, but then quickly moving to uh, proofs of concepts and, and a minimum viable product. And that, that's uh, that's interesting. I I really love the the way how you've been approaching the, the the problem in terms of like, you know, we're putting that camera and already getting this uh, this initial like imagery, uh, not from space but from the sky, uh, which is uh, basically the the, the same, uh, and definitely helped you uh, to to convince your initial client and an investor, I guess. Yeah, I mean that's the point. I mean it gives you obviously confidence in internally that if. What you're producing somebody likes uh, so that attracts more customers and investors like both of those proof points um, but you know there are challenges that approach too I mean there's a very good reason why people aren't doing it with planes already it's very expensive it takes uh, you know, the cameras are quite heavy you're dedicating a plane a pilot um, you need you know, I'm looking out the window now. The weather this week has not been brilliant. Um, then you want to fly over London. There's all sorts of restrictions about where and when you can fly over. So there are very good reasons why people aren't doing plane at the moment. Um, and that's the same case for a drone. A drone might be good for one building, but you can't get the volume of data. You can't get the repeats, uh, you know, every couple of hours revisiting uh, a site which we will be from our constellation. So in a way, the difficulty we're, we're facing now is even more of a proof point that 
can't wait till a satellite arrives because it's going, life's going to be so much easier. That's, uh, that's exciting. And <clears throat> speaking about the, the hardware and these, uh, to, to, those cameras, like how uh, different are they from uh, the one that were available in the market? What, what was the process for you to really like uh, change them and, and make them like to the, the level that was uh, required to get those initial uh, image? And do you think that you reach that level now or putting them to space will require a bunch of uh, extra development uh, around that? So what's required is you completely tear down a camera down to its, you know, its fundamental parts, uh, down to the detector itself, and uh, all the electronics in in every part needs to be uh, upgraded so that it's uh, it can survive the, you know, the environment in space. Um, then you build up the lenses and everything, um, and they have to be, you know, such that they can be aligned and survive the launches. The launched experience, which is you know a lot of vibration, yeah. etc. There, then when you're in space, you've got you know one side of the satellites you know minus whatever 200 degrees, and the other side is you know very warm. So you know this all affects the optics. So it's not a trivial, it's not a trivial exercise. You can do it with a, a CubeSat, you know, and it either works or it doesn't. But when you start going to the larger optics, uh, these Thermal effects uh, are huge um, and magnified, and so um, you need experience in that. So, yeah, it it, it does looks nothing like the commercial off-the-shelf camera. It's just that's a good place to start. Um, but uh, you know, it's just a, a more cost-efficient way than downgrading, a, you know, a, an existing government-type system and then trying to make, yeah. make the business case out of that. So, are you planning to put your uh, own production line in the in the future? Uh, how far are you from that uh, right now? Are you still v really like prototyping, or you really like start to feel that now you have something that you could, in a way, scale or replicate uh, in the in the future? So, we've been building this thing over a year. The camera has been built over a year. Um, also, all the developments done. Um, you know, we're still uh, another year away from. Uh, Uh, from launch and, and bringing it into service. So um, I think, you know, all the design work's done. We've got uh, a copy of the camera in on a, on the plane. So we've learned a lot of lessons about the, the optics and, and this detector there and, you know, the reliability of the electronics in, on, on Earth anyway. So, yeah, there's been a... So from that point of view, the, the technical risk has been hugely retired Um, and we're very confident it's going to work, you know, first time and it's going to work, uh, you know, for five years. So this is not really a, uh, a uh, you know, experimental payload. This is the production payload. It's going to work um, and we're going to sell uh, data from that. Um, so you need to be very confident and, and work with people that know what they're doing and done it before. We, you know, we were not going to build this in our garage or in our lab. Um, type of satellite was, was never going to be that case. We didn't, we don't really have the option to fail. Um, it would be an expensive and time-consuming exercise if we do. Um, obviously, we, we have failure contingency plans, but, you know, that's not our prime uh, plan at the moment. Um, so, yeah, things are well under production now, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking forward to the first launch. 
Fantastic. So t- tell us a bit more about the, the, the data and the, uh, the way how you, uh, because you, you've been mentioning prior in the interview that uh, really the access of data, like a lot of data uh, in the space uh, industry in general is uh, existing, but the access and the way how you can utilize that for like regular business people uh, in a way, uh, or even like government representatives is very, uh, very difficult. So how do you if you can walk us through maybe a little bit about like this this in a way platform like how is the the online product uh working for your uh potential future customers like how easy uh is the ux and what are the the data uh, that you can uh, you can provide to them so um, we will everything's going to be virtualized uh so we were part of uh AWS Accelerator, we were one of the first companies on their space accelerator. And so from that, we learned how to, you know, put everything in the cloud, um, putting everything, virtualizing every part we can. It's, it's usually important in efficiency and, and scalability. Uh, so that's, that's, that's coming along nicely. Um, I think the customer experience will be that you can order online uh, or through, through a, a UX or, um, or, 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 you know, through an API. Um, so, you know, that, that's, uh, that, that, that's, that's on the, on the roadmap. Um, and, uh, we, you know, we would like to sell subscriptions, uh, so people commit to a certain number of credits and they can buy down on those. So, uh, you know, both sides have a surety that they, uh, that they can, Buy the, buy the information, and we got sureties that we have customers who are going to buy it as well. So I think that that that's really the business model to make things as easy as possible for the end user. So that's a good segue maybe for my my next question in terms of like the the economics of uh, satellite view. Um, you mentioned this business model is uh, definitely sounds like subscription uh, at least for for a part of it. Uh, do you, are you thinking of like? Different uh, or business model as well, or is just like that one the, is the is the main one, and then on the on the cost uh, the cost side, I mean, uh, how much uh, how are the economics in terms of like building and and, and maintaining and, and launching this payload to, uh, to to space? I with the uh, with the business model, you think that the, the margin uh, are uh, promising, or how long is going to take you uh, to to in a way? reach that uh you know comfortable margin to to say okay the business now is like uh not living out of uh, uh, i would say investors uh, money but uh, really we have something that uh, can can keep growing yeah so we got some unique things about the uh, about the business model um so um the the anything We've got some the unique the business model is unique in that um, the, the satellites are you know are fairly expensive, um, but um, we'll be selling uh, a scene is 16 square kilometers and we're looking at the sort of uh, uh, 300 pounds, 400 euros, 500 dollars per scene. So and in each scene there's sort of uh, you know, tens of thousands of buildings. So if you're interested in certain buildings, the cost per building is, is pretty low. Um, 
And we collect data in two ways, as you say, one on a, on a tasking basis, so we can point the camera uh, at the user's command at whatever they want, and they have to pay you know, a, a price for that scene and probably a premium for that for the dedication. But in the background, we're collecting uh, images of cities, um, and we think thermal maps of cities have uh, many, many uses, and so we'll, we'll get multiple sales of the same data. Um, and so that's, that's how we can keep the cost down um, and yet the revenues high. So in, in generality, I think we hope to break even after the first year on, on the cost of the satellites. Um, and so uh, from there, you know, the, the business model works very well. As we, as we move forward in time, the percentage of analytics will uh, increase uh, on the revenues share. Uh, compared with the, the raw imagery, because we see that uh, certain analytics will, uh, you know, is where you know the holy grail is for us, um, and, and where we're going to, uh, you know, this company will change from being a, a space company because it has to, because no one else has that sensor, to an analytics company um, that will own and and dominate in in certain sectors. So. If I understand well, and, and, and please confirm that to me, but your first satellite will be launched in 2022. Uh, that's uh, that's the plan. Um, so, in between, then what keeps you uh, up at night? Uh, what needs to happen to be able to have uh, this uh, smooth launch uh, and uh, and start to uh, to produce? I think from the launch st uh, stage, it's you know, it's uh, I I've got a lot of experience. Uh, uh, managing um, satellite programs, admittedly most of them for much larger satellites, communication satellites, which you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. But um, I know how to get the best out of uh, satellite manufacturers, um, and you know that launch process, insurance, the ground system. For me, yeah, it's difficult. Space is difficult, but. I've got a lot of experience in, in getting, you know, making that work, re recovering from failures, um, keeping things on track and on budgets. Um, so yeah, it's difficult, but it's it's manageable. Um, so we will achieve that, you know, in, uh, and, and achieve a successful launch uh, at some point. Um, but what are we doing in between? And what keeps me awake is I want this the output of that satellite, the data, to be uh, the best it can be for the customers and so that they want to buy it and they want to buy lots of it. And so it has to be really relevant. And that's the difficult thing. It's a new category of data. It's clearly relevant to you know, climate ch change and mitigation, um, but it's making that obvious um, and uh, uh, sufficient value add to the end user that they come and buy it. And, and so this is the bit we're really exploring over the next uh, year or so is to not just have it on a platform, come and get it, but you know, you need this to make your business better. You need this to hit your climate goals. You need this to be a good actor um, in your city. Um, so, you know, we, these are the things we're exploring. And we're, we're doing this by speaking to different sectors of, of, of the community, whether it's you know buildings, owners, building investors, um, pollution, uh, industrial complexes. So we're talking to all these verticals to find out what it would take for them to uh, to, 
to buy our data and what do we need to do to you know, present it in a, in a, in a right format. Um, and maybe that's with other partners or maybe we can bring that in-house and we have to build a, that skill set. But, you know, so when we launch, it's not just the data, it, it's a compelling product. That's exciting. Thank you so much for, for, for sharing. Uh, I'd like to, to ask you a little bit about like uh, you probably heard uh, yesterday about this uh, massive panic in the uh, ISS uh, space station, uh, this, uh, all of this debris uh, flying around uh, that was supposedly coming from a, a Russian satellite that uh, got uh, exploded. To, uh, so how, how do you see yourself with uh, adding more satellites uh, into into space and increasing this risk of, uh, of of debris? Do you see that there is like the the tech is evolving in terms of like how can we minimize that, or do you see that that's a necessary risk that we need to go through in a way to uh, to, to 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 combat and, and fight climate change down there with uh, you know services like yours? Yeah, no, I think it's, it's something that the whole industry needs to embrace and be aware of. Uh, of uh, you know, we have a responsibility not on Earth but in in space. Um, and you know, it's we put stuff up there, so we should be responsible for, for for the stuff we put up there. And in fact, to help Earth, because we believe our data is going to help Earth, we need to be responsible actors to and keep space clean, so that we can still launch successful missions. Um, so, yeah, it is a, a massive concern for everybody when anyone litters the orbit, almost any orbit with, with space debris, it's something else to avoid, something else to, you know, adds to the risk. Um, and even now, I'm sure the likelihood of, of a collision is very low. The stakes are huge, though. So, you know, that's a concern. Probabilities might be low, but the implications are massive. So we need to, you know, take this problem very, very seriously. So I think with our constellation, we, you know, we designed it. These are not CubeSats. We're not building them in, in our, in our, in our uh, garage. Um, they are professional pieces of equipment. There is, you know, for example, I think our satellite is 160 kilos. It's about a meter cubed. It's got uh, propulsion on board. We can, uh, we can quickly move. Our satellite out the way of, of a, a potential collision. Um, other satellites uh, don't have that capability. Um, we are in an orbit which is you know, not quite as busy as, as everybody else. We're trying to pick an orbit and, and we can change that orbit during the lifetime of the satellite in case things change. So we could steer around you know, the space station uh, um, when we come to retire. We'll have onboard fuel to um, be able to you know, get past their orbit in, in a responsible way. So one, we have, it's built by professionals. It's hugely reliable. Two, we have onboard fuel so we can um, maneuver around things. Three, we'll have fuel so that we can deorbit quickly. Um, and so we think we're taking, and four, we only have a few satellites. It's only seven in the initial constellation. So, you know, I think we're being very, very responsible in that respect. And we want governments, the industry, to you know embrace similar practices and and you know pick up the litter after they left and and uh, make sure that they uh, they design the systems for resilience. Um, and so you know we would encourage all players and regulators to to, to help us out with this. 
Thank you. Um, <clears throat> especially when you see like, uh, you know, like uh, Starlink and, uh, and others from uh, Elon Musk, like those enormous constellations that going to space is true. That uh, is definitely something that uh, I think uh, government and, uh, in, and the private sector will need to, to, uh, to take care of. Uh, otherwise, we're going to, you know, that's basically moving a problem uh, from Earth to, uh, to space. Uh, it becomes uh, more complicated. But uh, let's go back uh, a little bit uh, for this last question of this uh, of this part. Uh, we all know about uh, COP26 that just closed now. The uh, you know mitigate um, you know agreement that they they, they, they finally had. Uh, but what is your, your personal opinion regarding the, the the climate crisis? I mean, we well. What would you tell to, to people who are afraid of all of those terrible news and already visible consequences uh, of climate change? I mean, as I always say, are we doomed or, or what would you tell them? I don't think we're doomed. I think we can, um, we have the technology to, uh, or we can develop the technology to combat this. Um, I think, as you can see from the results of COP26, it takes a lot more effort and a, and a lot more money than people are willing to commit at the moment. Um, but, you know, we will have to bite that bullet at some point and, and, and try and put the brakes on. Um, it's going to be difficult. So we also need to, um, and we will not be completely successful. And so we need to adapt as well. We need to adapt our, our lifestyles so that they're, you know, very, very low carbon. Uh, we need to adapt uh, our infrastructure so that it can survive uh, the weather changes. We need to adapt so we look after those people, those most vulnerable people that can't help themselves. Um, uh, otherwise, you know, there will be mass migration, and those people who have adapted, they, they you know, they, they'll have, they can't build a fortress around themselves and try to keep uh, everybody else out. So it's. It's, 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 you can't be an island here. You have to work collaboratively. And I think COP did, as far as it could, um, achieve some of that. It, 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 some of the goals were increased, um, you know, deforestation, the methane, something on, on carbon pricing was agreed. Clearly, it, it's not enough. Um, but uh, I mean, we, we have, you know, as President Obama said, you know, it's, it's, we've got to be in for the long haul and don't give up. Don't give up fighting. Um, and, uh, you know, and from my side, we won't give up innovating. Um, and, you know, and uh, let, let's come up with better technical solutions. I think the, the great thing, I think one of, you know, one of, the, one of the challenges we have as all of us is when we purchase something, we don't know the carbon impact. So whether I... Uh, whether I, you know, we just moved an office, we're just moving offices, and we don't know the carbon impact of the new office, and, and they didn't know what it was, and so there's no data around. So you, as a as an individual or a company, it's very hard to make even uh, choices, even if you have a, the will to to make a good choice. Whereas if you're on a, a calorie diet and you want to lose some weight, you go into the supermarket, you pick up a can of soup, and it tells you exactly, you know, how many calories you're you're uh, you're absorbing so if the globe needs to go on a carbon diet it's very hard to do so without this data so i think you know companies like ours who can say you know 
this structure or this company has a certain footprint based on its thermal emissions, um, I think that will help inform people to make better choices. Um, and uh, so, you know, I think these everything that technology is achieving, whether you're bringing information that holds out the facts bare and, 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 and accountable to individuals, or whether you're coming up with a, a carbon capture solution that, that you know sucks the carbon out of the atmosphere and, and disposes of it or locks it up responsibly, I, I think uh, there's so much more to be done on on a technical basis, which is super exciting. Um, and it, and, you know, and it's good that technology is, is you know everybody's relying on that, maybe over relying on it a little bit uh, to, to to get us out of this situation, but. Uh, you know, I think it's a great challenge for everybody, young and old, to, to make this happen. And it's, it's you know, it's it's a perilous place to be, but it's very exciting at the same time that we can make a difference and we can, as humanity, solve this problem if we all work together. Yeah, and I think more than can we we have to. Uh, that's <laughs> that's the first time where we don't have uh, any any choice on that one. So how how can the, the community of uh, investors, founders, experts uh, around the world who are listening today can uh, can help you? Can help us? Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I, I think yeah. internally we're looking for smart people to join us to help us. Uh, you know. To, um, Develop, our, you know, our road plan, our road map, and implement that, um, and to, to reach uh, so our product reaches the whole market. Uh, so you know, there's lots to be done internally. I think investors, I think we've convinced them to date that uh, you know we've got a, a sustainable business for sustainable causes, um, and uh, until we're in the right time in the right place, the right price point product fits the you know the market um, so I think from that that respect it's coming it's going well I would like to work faster I'd like to do more I therefore I would lead more money so next year we will be raising the next round and uh, if there's like-minded investors out there then you know connect with us and uh, we'll try and get you in part of the round um, so yeah we're, we're It's do more, do do it quicker, do it better, make something that people want to buy and, and, and you know, does the job. That's super exciting. So any question that uh, I did not ask you, then I should have for this part of the show? Ah, okay. Um, no, I think your line of questioning was very, very good. Uh, no, I, I think, uh, I think, uh, You, you, I think you captured it, just about everything there. So I can't. What else would I? No, I think. So I think the one thing is, you know, what can governments do, perhaps, for yeah. us? Um, so we've been fortunate in uh, that we've received uh, some grants from the UK Space Agency and the European Space Agency, which have which have helped. Uh, you know. Investors appreciate non-dilutive equity. It's it's good that entities like European Space Agency vet our product. Uh, you know they they understand the space technology, um, and uh, if they say it's worth investing in, that's a you know a real tick in the box for us. Um, so we we like that that, that credibility 
that they give us. Um, but I think because it's a new data set, there's challenges uh, in the market from, from consumers. So I think where government can help is they know they need a thermal map of every city. So many people would, would buy that. So many people would use it, not just the, uh, the local councils, the government themselves could help identify their own buildings which might need upgrading. Um, it's, you know, the, it could be used by individuals um, uh, to find out how they're faring um, on a comparative basis or absolute basis. And so we would like governments to, you know, have a, a PPP relationship, uh, a private-public uh, partnership whereby you know they would help uh, purchase some of our data we would try and provide some analytics to make it meaningful um, and so that really get the ball rolling and if we could do that in a few countries in a few cities I think it would really demonstrate and accelerate uh, the applications of, uh, of infrared technology uh, to the masses and uh, you know, that, that, that's something we're looking forward to in talking to uh, government entities is to try and get this uh, data out there and so that people can learn um, more about uh, its benefits. That's a, that's a great call to action. So anyone out there who knows uh, has access to any uh, governmental uh, representative, please uh, join and uh, in contact uh, Anthony and uh, probably they, they can, uh, you know, help you to accelerate that. So... Thank you so much, Anthony, for, for your time uh, and your incredible uh, insights on the on the industry. I'm so 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 excited to, to see so many uh, you know brilliant people like like you putting so much effort uh, to move the, the ball forward uh, towards a, a better and cleaner world. So thank you so much. Hi, it's Guillaume again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As I said, do not hesitate to share an episode with a friend. Also, if you value the work we do for the climate tech ecosystem, here is how you can contribute to it. Today, I'm asking for your support and a donation or sponsorship to make the work of our self-funded team more viable. Even a small contribution means a lot to us. In any case, I will invite you to subscribe to our channels and visit our website startupbscamp.org to discover more episodes like this one. And get your membership to access all our members' exclusive content. So remember, all of this is possible because of your support and donation. And we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. Let's keep in touch and I hope you will enjoy our next show with us.